So, my first episode of uh, my sexual assault was the introduction for you to get to know me. This episode is going to be the attack and the subtitle of I Said No and I Said Stop. So, without further ado, uh, it was a normal night. You know, as I said, a bartender, um, sarcastic, uh, worked with my attacker, which they say is very common that you know your attacker. It was a Saturday night. We had just finished work and uh, decided for some reason that we were going to have a drink. Okay, sure. Uh, my attacker, John, had come back here because it was very close many times, as again, I was a mentor to teach him how to bartend, and we were gonna have a couple drinks, maybe one, maybe two, because he was meeting his girlfriend, so he couldn't stay long, which is fine by me. So by the time we get done work, um, it's 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night anyway, so we'd get back here, have a drink, and I was hungry, so there would be some food at some point in time. I didn't want it to be a real late night. The next day I was going to Kennywood for a ethnic food fest that they had going on, or food around the world, I think it was called food and drink from everywhere. So anyway, what started out as a normal night turned out to be one of the weirdest, most bizarre nights that I've ever encountered in my life with many things that I've never heard of, could imagine, and see in people and in things in general. I do apologize at this episode because there's so many details, maybe a longer than the last one. So, uh, and then after this one, I'll tell you details of the investigation and how I really truly got raped by the police. At any rate, here's the gist of the evening. It was about 11.30, maybe 12 o'clock on that Saturday. We came back and had some drinks. Not unusual. Um, you know, being a little bit older, I enjoy a drink. Usually an old-fashioned or in Manhattan. One, maybe two tops. Usually around one and a half. I make an old-fashioned. When I finish it, I just throw a half a shot of bourbon on top, mix it. I don't drink to get drunk. I drink to enjoy the drink. Same with my wine. My best friend, who I live with, and the two dogs were here, and John came over. And as in every past visit where I have cooked food and John has been here, he has made his own drinks. He has asked to make drinks. He has asked to be shown how to make drinks. Mojitos, painkillers, burnt, uh, peach, old fashions, pretty much anything. Sample wines. So it was not unusual for him to just make his own drinks. The kitchen is right next to, it's like a galley kitchen, if you can envision it, tiny galley kitchen. It's a rented townhouse in an apartment complex. And right outside from in there, you can see the dining room pub table, round table. And that's where we were seated. So you do the venting about work and the crazies and the idiots that you waited on and all the fucktardery that went on about how you're co-workers did this, your person did this, some asshole did this, and, you know, standing restaurant language, you know, when you're a bartender, did you get tipped? No, just the tip. You know, things of that nature were just second nature. Um, a restaurant can be the HR nightmare because there's so many languages and situations that goes on. It's incredible, but yet it's not because it's kind of like a giant dysfunctional family. There are plenty of co-workers that you know only behind their first name, who they're banging, who they've banged, who they um, are sleeping with now, how often they've had sex, when they lost their virginity, and you don't even know their last name. 
It's just the fact of the restaurant life. Keep that in mind because the police don't understand that because they've never worked it. You try to explain it to them, well, you're lying. Anyway, for the next chapter. So as we come back here, we have some drinks. We have one drink. We go into the second drink, and John is still here. He was supposed to be meeting his girlfriend. Said he couldn't stay long, but decided to stay a little bit longer. I got the impression something was off. Maybe something happened with said girlfriend. It had before. She was batshit crazy. A feisty redhead who they'd had locked horns with many times. Words, battles, and they worked together. So it was always pleasant to watch when the two of them were having a shit show go down. But it happened often. So as we were having our drink and moving on to the second drink, we, you know, I do have some nicer bourbons. My best friend and I and the dogs were sitting there and the question was, do you have some Blantons I could try? So I pulled out some Blantons, some Eagle Rare, a little bit of the Van Winkle, and then a little E.H. Taylor, little tiny maybe tablespoonfuls because I'm not wasting that stuff after you've had a drink. Just let him, we all sampled a little bit. He tried it, which I've had it before. I didn't have any. And my best friend, Rich, who had not had some of them, tried them as well. We did some sipping and comparing some tasting notes. I know, blah, blah, blah. A little boring unless you like whiskey. But it's important to know that um, we were just chasing some drinks. Then John went in and made himself a drink. And then I, being hungry, went in and made some hot dogs. Because that's what I had laying around. And I could microwave those. Had some buns and things of that nature. So, from where the dining room table is, the refrigerator is kind of right there, maybe four feet, if that. So, at some point in time, and there are two entrances to the kitchen, John went into the other entrance of the kitchen that I didn't see him behind me while I was at the refrigerator. And it had been known for about two weeks that I'd been going to the chiropractor for a bad back um, from over lifting a few things. So I was very surprised at the next move that happened is when I shut the refrigerator door, which left me then facing into the dining room where John would have been sitting, but Rich was sitting and I would have been sitting, my chair empty, and was telling them hot dogs were ready. John got behind me and pinned me in some sort of wrestling. I couldn't move. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything in any way, shape, or form. I was pinned. My back was hurting. I asked him to stop. He did not. Um, he never said a word. He just kind of kept getting tighter, and I'm like, stop. I can't move. Never said a word. Finally, my friend stood up and was like, hey, stop that, and he let go. It was weird. Nothing like that had ever happened before. Again, he's 22 and had been a wrestler and football player in high school, which he was most recently out of high school and college. So very strong as compared to, not that I'm weak, but bad back and significantly older. Obviously had a hard time fighting off a wrestler. Um, so that happened. I sat down to finish some drinks. I didn't make it an issue because I figured something weird was going on. This just had a weird feel in general. Must have been something with the girlfriend. I'm not sure. So when uh, Rich goes to walk the dogs, John goes to pee. And when he comes out, he 
kisses the back of my head, which I thought was weird. He's never done that before. And I was like, what's that? Stop. What do you, I don't know what you're doing. Leave me alone. He goes, oh, you'll find out later. And, you know, I just thought, okay, there needs to be a conversation at some point in time, but I think he's just wanting to, to be a one-on-one. -on -one. I've known him at this point in time. This is July 23rd. He's worked with me one-on-one -on -one pretty hard since May. So we had May, June, and most of July. And, you know, we got to know each other because we worked a lot of shifts together. And in that field, people see each other all the time. Again, you learn things, you hear things, you say things. So I learned things about him and very nice kid. Surprised, very well behaved, very well mannered. So what happens through the rest of the night, I found extremely odd and didn't see it coming in any way, shape or form. So Rich comes back in, walks the dogs, finishes his drink, he goes to bed. It's probably around two o'clock in the morning now. And at this point in time, um, John, one of the other things that he likes to do is debate things. He'll correct you if you're wrong, like it's not irregardless, it's regardless. You get corrected on your grammar, corrected on things, debating on things. So for whatever reason that night we were debating suicide and assisted suicide. Don't know why. And um, came up that he had no respect for people and thought they were cowards if that was some sort of thing that they chose to do. And I said, what if somebody has a disease that they know they're not going to live? And to his reply, that is, let's, you know, there are things they can do or you can, you know, just write it out and wait for something or have your family around you. And I said, well, my preference would be to die with dignity and handle things on my own. And he started to say something smart. And I said, oh, John, shut up. Let me show you something. And in my medical records, a year and a half ago, I had been told I had stage four fibrosis, which was the beginning of cirrhosis, because I do have five autoimmune disease, and this was NASH. And it was taking over slightly, which meant nobody knew anything don't know but I know at some point in time I'm probably not going to live to be 70. I'm 57 now I've lived a great life but I knew that my lifespan was probably shorter and I said and that is why I am planning that if it ever becomes that it's winning that I choose to die with dignity. It's my life I'm choosing to end it on my terms because there is no cure for anything I have now. I think knowing somebody that had these made something trigger in his brain because then he started weeping and crying real tears, the, oh my God, type of crying. And, you know, it was like, it's not fair. It's not fair. You're such a good person. You're such a good person. Oh my God, I'm so lucky I've got to know you. And there's so many things that I want to ask you. And there's so many things that I want to do and questions. And it just doesn't seem there's enough time. And I'm like, we have time. We have time. I said, you know, you're looking at years, not months, not weeks, um, but we do have time. But I said, I want you to respect and understand that this is not a decision you make lightly. You wake up today and say, hey, I'm going to die with dignity. This is something that when you realize that you are faced with a situation that you know at some point in time is going to win, and until then, I win, but I am going to go out on my terms. So again, the weeping, the whole, it just was off. Like, 
for real crying. So that kind of appeased him, you know, just saying, hey, relax, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Um, and he was definitely a little bit more buzzed. He vapes, and I don't know what was in that vape. He's admitted times before that there has been marijuana in there. He's also admitted at other times where he's done mushrooms and other things, and I don't know if he did anything else at all. I'm not accusing, I'm just saying, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. We were enjoying a night, and all of a sudden the night took a weird turn. And then it decided to go even weirder. He needed to pee again. He goes in to pee, and while he's in there, I hear him say, do you want to come hold it? And I'm like, no, still thinking he's kidding, still thinking there's a conversation about feisty redhead that's going to happen. And the next thing that I know, he's coming out without his shirt on and his pants down around his ankles and just these bright yellow boxers with the sunset on them. And, I'm, and he's grinding and gyrating and rubbing his private area and looking at me. And I'm like, okay, it's time to go. It's around at 3 o'clock in the morning, 2.30, 3 o'clock. And I said, okay, so here's the deal. You've clearly had too much to drink. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to get you a shirt and a pair of shorts so you can go sleep downstairs in the private bedroom that has its own bathroom. Or we can Uber your home or I can drive you home. I said, I'm definitely not drunk. Probably not as sober as I could be, but I definitely wasn't drunk. And I was, it had been probably a good 45 minutes since my last drink. Had some water and had some food. So I was coherent. So, um, he, he, Uber was not an option for whatever reason, I'm not real sure, but the next thing I know is that uh, he's put the shirt on a game and said, We're, I'm going to ride him home. Okay, sure. So, I go to leave through the front door, which has a ring cam, which had this stuff on it, but at any rate, he takes off. He runs. He's giggling and he's running and he's telling me he's going to walk home. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not walking home in pitch black with just a t-shirt and your slacks on. It's not happening. I'm going to drive you home. Is that? And he said, okay. And he comes over and I go get him and drag him to the car. I put him in the front seat and I put the seatbelt on him. I get in the car and back up the car and he starts screaming at me. Why won't you date me? Why did you break up with me? And I realized that he has no idea who I'm talking about. He says, we had the best two years of our lives. I don't understand what the problem is. And I don't know what to do because I've never seen anybody have an episode where it seems like there's somebody else, almost like a slip personality, if you will, and is yelling at me for breaking up with them for two years, which I've known him for three months. So, don't know what all that was about, but I was just like, relax, it's okay. Relax. We'll talk about it later, but let's just get you home safely. Can you tell me how to get to your house? I've never been there before, needed to know how to get him there. So, he finally decides after he punches me a few times and screams at me that he loved me and he didn't understand and he's punching and he relaxes and he says, okay, let's go here. He never gives me an address, but he gives me a turn by turn to get there, which was about a mile, maybe a mile and a half. 
seven minute ride from where we, I live. And then he starts screaming in karaoke that was so bad. It was ear, ear worthy of, you know, my ears were almost bleeding, but whatever, the transformation had happened and I just had witnessed something to one of my friends that, new friend, but still learning, but he just don't know what it was. It didn't seem like alcohol. He never brought up anything about the girlfriend. It just was a transformation. So, you know, lo and behold, he gets me to his house, which has a lot of steps. He tries to get up the steps. He can't make it up the steps. He asks me for help up the steps. Another one of my bad decisions that night, let's just say. I help him up the steps because he can't walk. Part of me is thinking, too, that I might be liable for some of this because I served him. Well, I really didn't. He's over 21, and he made his own drinks, but he was in my home, so I don't want anything to happen to him. It is somebody at this point in time, like a kid brother, like a nephew. I have a nephew his age that I am worried about, concerned at this point in time. We get up to the top of the steps as I'm holding him, like, on my shoulder to get him there, and we go around to the back of the house, and he's like, shh. And I was like, okay. So, at any rate, he uh, goes in the back door. We shut the back door. And he says, can you help me to my room? And I was like, okay. He goes, it's upstairs. He said, but first I have to pee. So he goes to pee. And he comes out and he shows me to help him upstairs. It's like a loft. There's maybe 12 stairs. And I get him upstairs. He's still wearing the t-shirt I gave and he takes his pants off and is just sitting there getting ready for bed. He's like, do you mind? I'm like, no, I don't care. I didn't, you know, I'm a guy, I sleep in my underwear, he, you know, whatever. It, it just is what it is. He has a cat and he showed me this cat feeder he has at the bottom of the bed that has a camera. And he says to me, some girl's name. We'll use Julie, and he'd be like, he looked at me, and he'd go, look, let me show you something, and he, there's this fingering motion, and he would go, Julie, and like, fingering, Julie, fingering, full SD card, do you want to see, and I'm like, what? He was telling me, I believe, in some uncertain fashion, that he recorded a girl and him having sex on the bed, where this was pointed directly at, because he had a full SD card, and he was asking me if I wanted to watch the video. I was a little creeped out and freaked out, and I was like, no, I'm good. I said, you know what, I should leave now. And as I'm getting ready to leave, the same thing that happened to the car, he sits down on the edge of the bed and starts screaming. Now, I don't know if he has a roommate. I don't know what's going on. I do know that it's 3 o'clock in the morning at this point in time, maybe 3.15. He's getting loud. And I said, no, it's okay, it's okay. Sit down, relax. He's like, will you stay with me till I fall asleep? I still don't know why you broke up with me. Look at what I've done with the putting this and the posters and this since the last time we were here. I've never been there. He doesn't know who he's talking to in my mind. He has me confused with somebody else. So I just kind of like pat him on the shoulder and he says, will you sit next to me? And I sit next to him because just like in the car, I just want to calm him enough to go to sleep. In my eyes, this is a friend who is clearly having issues and I want to help him. Little did I know that that was my other, another, let's just keep track. I don't even know where we're at, four or five mistake of the evening because at that point in time was when he grabbed me, pulled me down, 
on the bed where I was on my right side and he was on his left side facing me and he reached over and he kissed me and when he kissed me he bit my lip and I said what are you doing he didn't say anything but he kind of giggled and then bit me again and I could taste my own blood and I said you know hey I'm gonna go and he said no I said are, are you bi are you whatever no I'm sorry he said I think you'd be good for me and he said he was bi as fuck he had never asked. I am by, but I never told anybody. But I guess he assumed that or whatever took his chance on that. And at that point in time, he had me on my right side and put his hand in my shorts and underwear and grabbed my genitals and squeezed them as hard as he could while he kissed me and bit me and then flipped me over onto my back and pinned me, he basically took his left arm and grabbed both of my legs, held me down with his other hand on my chest, and somehow managed to pull my shorts and down. And I can't remember exactly the exact scenario. I'd been trying and as a therapist, and the cops initially said that, you know, it is a PTSD, I do remember not always a timeline, but I do remember at some point in time that he had grabbed my shorts. I couldn't move. My back was killing me from the earlier injury he had done to me. And he looked at me and he said, I hope your prostate can take it because I'm going to fuck you. And I was like, oh, no, you're not. This is stopping. I'm done. We're not doing this. Stop. No, this isn't happening. I, I feel his hand down near the back of my shorts. I feel what I thought I heard and felt was my underwear ripped because they were ripped later. And I felt his very hard penis between my cheeks trying to enter me. And he kept pushing and pushing and trying and holding me and I kept moving and trying but I couldn't move. I was pinned and saying, stop, stop. This went on for a few minutes. I guess he got frustrated. There was no condom. There was no lube. There was no anything. He never actually did fuck me. He tried several times and kept telling me how he was going to, but never did. And he was clearly aroused because he was rock hard as he was trying to do it. He then pulled me back on my side and I was facing him again. And he had his hand squeezing my balls and my cock so hard the pain was unbearable and at this point in time I was trying to figure a how am I going to get out of there so things get sketchy because all I was focused on was how was I going to get out of here because while I was on my back he still was punching me a couple times into the gut like I said ripped my underwear he pulled me on the side and he pulled me to him to like kiss him where he bit my lip again and he pulled his shirt to the side and his nipple was exposed and he said lick it and I said no and he slapped me that one two slap this way this way and he said I said lick it and I said no and he slapped me again which is a two slapper because it's one one way one the other all the time he's squeezing my balls so hard 
It was so painful. I couldn't even think the pain that I had been punched, now slapped, my everything being squeezed, pinned back. He tells me one more time, and I said, no, stop. He then relaxes for a second and says I would be good for him. He had planned something in the future, because I was like, well, how would that work? He then told me he had a roommate, and I said, well, how would that work if your roommate, well, it would be none of his business. We should do this again. And I'm like, we haven't done anything, and we're not going to do anything. I, I need to leave. And he goes, no. So he then puts my hand, left hand, down the front of his shorts and puts it on his penis. And I pulled it out, and he put it back, and I pulled it out. And he put it back again. And I was like, okay, I gotta figure something. So I just left my hand in there and just kind of rubbed him a little bit, my hand on his penis as I was still being held firmly and leaned on and couldn't move. And so he said, I very much like the way that feels. And I said, how many men have had their hands down your pants? He had a girlfriend, talked about many girls he's had sex with, never mentioned any guys. Not that I care. But at that moment, trying to start some conversation to stop it. Um, at any rate, he said I was the fifth. He then said he wanted me to blow him, and I said that's not going to happen. At that point in time, he then said, um, he wanted to blow me, and I said, that's not going to happen. This was over the course of about an hour and a half, back and forth, holding, heading. So it wasn't just a couple minutes as I'm telling you this. And I'm very fired up right now, not as sad. I am still sad that this happened, but the crying has turned to anger. The anger has turned to sharing my story after being with the police after being with the lawyers, after the outcome that I was hoping not to get that I got. It is now pissed offness at this point in time. So I said to him, you know what? Yeah, if you want to blow me, that's fine, but I have to pee. And he said, okay. And that's when he finally let go. And I stood up and I grabbed my keys and my phone he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm leaving. I never asked for any of this. I've asked you to stop. This was never supposed to happen. You're my friend. I can't do this. You're not sober. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I never looked at you like that. Sure, I may be bisexual and you're bisexual, but that doesn't mean I want to sleep with you. He looked at me as seductively as he could at the end of the bed rubbing his cock and his balls, still wearing his shirt and his shorts because I've never seen him naked. I didn't want to and he never took my shorts off. And he said, well, this is your one shot to do anything you want to. And he said, if I were you, I would because nobody's going to believe you if you tell anybody. And I said, I don't care. And I went to leave. That was it. And I started to run down the steps and it was like every other horror movie you've ever seen anywhere because I get down the steps. It's dark. I don't know where I'm going. I couldn't find a door. When I finally found a door, it had like five fucking locks on it. 
this point in time, I've now just tapped started my car so I can set the alarm off if I need to. I find, I open the locks, I run, I run down the thing, get in my car, and I drive off a street that is closed under construction, and I hear the door slam. And sitting in my head is nobody's going to believe me, and I just survived one of my close friends try to rape me. And I'm trying to process that. I get home. I send a text message to my best friend saying, hey, had to drive John home. He was drunk. So that there was no, if I was or where I was in this way, he knew if I wasn't there and if something were to have happened or he were to follow me, he knew where I was. I got home. I took my clothes off. I did not take a shower because the shower here makes too much noise. My clothes had blood in them. He did not get off. I did not get off. I did not even get hard. But all I know is that it just was shocking that that happened. I just decided at that point in time to file that in the back of my head that if I never talked about it, never said anything about it, it never happened. Because he had me thinking, and I believed him, that if I told anybody, Nobody would believe me. And I believed him. And that happened July 23rd. There was a lot more things in between there. I chose not to make it as brutal. But it definitely... You don't need to hear all the details. You really don't. It just was the fact that somebody made me bleed, punched me, slapped me wanted me to do things that I didn't want to do and I said no and I said stop and they didn't they never stopped so with that I leave you with some thought because I need a minute after that reliving that every time I've had to tell it has been painful the anger is there but the pain is still there the scars so that will be the end of this chapter of this. And the next one will be the investigation. Pick up from there. I thank anybody who's listening. I'm not asking to be judged. I'm not doing it for any other reason than to share my story so that maybe somebody else can relate and knows that they're not alone because eventually I found out I wasn't alone and it helped. It helped huge.